when you think about the, the Christmas story, you think about that wonderful pronouncement of peace that the angels brought, right? I mean, Luke 2, verse 13 the angels had come to the shepherds and it says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I think what you've heard so far this morning, both by song and by testimony with the Smiths sharing during the Advent candle time, is that there is peace. There's an offer of peace and as that song just sang, the offer of peace has stood for time and time, time. The problem is you just get sort of used to hearing it. And then you start looking around and you see darkness. And you see a lack of peace. And it causes you to question, doesn't it? That's what we talked about last week. John the Baptist, the one who was to come and prepare the way for the, the, the Prince of Peace. And he sits in a prison cell about to be beheaded. And he sends word to Jesus and says, are you the one? I thought you were the one. But as I look around, it seems like I'm still in jail. And Jesus responds as you tell John the Baptist all the things that you've seen, how the lame walk, the deaf hear, the mute speak, how the blind see, you go tell them. See, Jesus offers peace. And, and that is the essence of the Christmas message. This gift that has been given to us, the gift of joy, the gift of peace, is only a gift if we receive it. So have you received it? If I had the guts, to be honest, if I had the guts, I would simply pray right now, have the band to come back and finish the service. Because I can't add much more to what's already been said. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that in the midst of our darkness, a great light came. And he came not as we expected him to come in majesty and royalty and power and lights and, 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 and fireworks and this massive display of his glory. He came in such a way that we would be able to know him, a baby. And he lived that perfect life, the one that we think we have mastered from time to time until we get out of bed in the morning. And he died in our place on the cross. Folks, that's the message of Christmas. We're going to pray, but because I don't have the guts and I like to talk, We'll jump into John 1. Pray with me, would you? God, I thank you for this morning already.
my heart has already been overwhelmed with your goodness to me. And so I, I pray that in some small way I'd be able to communicate that to these folks who have given their time to be here today. They haven't given it to me. They've given it to you. So may I be a good steward of these moments. Lord, I pray for all of our hearts even now that you would shut out the distractions, that you would remove those thoughts that are, are tempting us to escape to another place in this moment while we sit in these chairs. God, instead I pray we would be locked in to you and what you have for us. May we be changed. May we leave here more thankful than we've ever been before. Thank you for Jesus. And I don't mean that in some pastoral way, how to close a prayer. God, I mean it. Thank you for Jesus. The giver of joy in the middle of cancer. The bringer of peace in the midst of this crazy dark place we live. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his good name I pray. Amen. John chapter 1. Oh, it's going to be a tough one to get back on track, guys. In a good way. In a good way. John chapter 1. Um, we've been going through John 1. We've titled the series Awkward Christmas, so we started talking about awkwardness. We talked about how baby Jesus, instead of coming with all the, the fancy show, he came and got laid into a, a feeding trough. The cows got pushed to the side so that there was room for the baby. Last week we talked about John the Baptist, this guy who was the prophet, who was the preacher, who came and just, just lowered the boom with his message. I mean, he was not holding back, and yet fast forward a year or two into his ministry, and he's doubting if Jesus is the one, much like you and I do regularly. This week we continue on in John 1, and, and, and before we get to the passage, let me, let me do this. This is going to be the worst transition ever. <laughs> That's Okay. It's awkward. So I'm going to give you a second to talk amongst yourselves to answer this question. Why would you return a Christmas gift? Not one that you had purchased, but a Christmas gift that had been given to you. What are some of the reasons you would return a Christmas gift? Go ahead, share a couple of quick answers with each other. All right. Okay, bring it back, so let me share this with you. Oh, are you surprised this made an appearance today? Why would I think about returning this? Pray tell. Monday was a glorious evening, wasn't it? <laughs> I just want to be honest. At halftime, I had my fingers on the trigger of posting something stupid to Facebook for y'all. And I thought, you know, that usually gets me in trouble, and sure enough, the second half started, and I was like, oh no, I'm going to have to call out sick on Sunday. But no, no, so, so why would I return this? I, well, that's one thing I might return, I, perhaps. No, I won't return it. I'll use it to, to desecrate it later for you. Um, when you. When you do return a gift, what do you normally need to bring with you? A receipt, right? A proof of purchase. That phrase used to drive me nuts as a child. 
Because if you wanted to get the cool gift out of the, the, the cereal box, well, the gift wasn't there. You had to send in some of the seals and proof of purchase. And I had no problem stealing the boxes off the cereal, but I could never get that proof of purchase from my mom. Proof of purchase. So you can go to the store. i got to be honest with you. My wife can attest to this. Um, I think in the history of my life, I have returned exactly two things because I hate returning things. She is our returner, and I am forever indebted to her for that. So I'm like, can you do me a favor? I have the proof of purchase. And she goes and stands in the ridiculously long line. Why do we reject gifts? It's interesting that as you look at the story of John chapter 1, we see a gift being rejected, being returned. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 of John chapter 1. It says this, in the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light, it shines in the darkness, and all the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now to our passage this morning, verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I'll stop there. Let me, let me just kind of walk through the passage a little bit for you to kind of point out some things. So you start in verse 9, it talks about this true, I'm uh, sorry, verse, yeah, verse 9, verse, the true light, and, and what he's doing is he's contrasting it with the verse just before where he's talking about John the Baptist wasn't the light. No, Jesus is the true light. And what does that mean? I mean, I think for some of us, when we read verse 9, it's a little scary. He gives light to everybody in the world. So is that little spark of divinity in everybody's soul? Is it? No, the, the, the light isn't, isn't necessarily always good news. Let, let me explain. How many of you had a creepy basement growing up? I did. I did. And, and, and it was weird. I was thinking about it this morning. We divided our basement into the warm side and the cold side. Warm side was fine. Cold side, I mean, it was like, and my, 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 the way I had to bring the trash to the cold side at night as a little guy, I was probably seven or eight years old, and I remember this one moment, I don't remember a lot about my childhood, but I remember this distinctly, is going down through the warm side with the bag of trash to the cold side, putting it in the uh, trash can, closing the lid, closing the door to the cold side, and then <laughs> darkness. And I'm thinking, oh, no, you won't. And so I begin walking, and I get just a couple of steps, and suddenly a flashlight turns on with my father's face. Boo! I, I jumped. It's funny how you can remember specifics about the torment that your parents put you through. I launched into the air. My legs came up like the old Toyota commercials. Remember? Yeah. Um, and I went up, and I came down and landed on my knees, and it was like, Ooh, and I was a basket case, and it took me about a half an hour to stop crying, because it was scary. Light doesn't always mean good things. The light's good, but when the light's on, you get to see some of the dirt in the corners. 
You get to see some of the other things that exist in that, that moment. So when Jesus came, there's, there's no longer an ability for anybody to hide. Some, some could have made the claims that they were perfect at keeping the law, but when the light came, the one who kept the law perfectly, and then you would contrast that, there was a bit of a gap between the true light and your claim that you were keeping the law. Verse 10 says this, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Think about that. He came to his own possession, his own domain, his own home, his own creation, the one that he made. And we know that back in verse 3, it says, through him all things were made, and without him was nothing made that has been made. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, in Jesus Christ, all things were created. So, so he created it all, and yet his own creation didn't know him. Let's apply that to our current cultural grid, where we know more about the intricacies and the monstrosity of the universe that we live in, more than any other time in history. We can measure stars that have never even been seen before. We're exploring planets that weren't planets, and some that used to be planets. I mean, we're, we're able to see that I mean, the, 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 the galaxy is 13.8 billion light years across. That means nothing to me, just being honest. I mean, it's a big way. That's all I know. Not only can we see hugeness, but we can see minuteness. I mean, they've, they've been doing this big um, project um, science experiment that everybody was freaking out about because it's going to disprove God. And so, boop, they found it. It's called the God particle, the Higgs boson. <gasps> well, I, great news for us. doesn't disprove God. It just says, wow. Not only is God huge, but he knows even the tiniest of details. The creation that, that he formed doesn't even recognize him. And that's true in our day just as it was in their day. In fact, just as it was in their day, Romans 1 is just as true today. Instead of worshiping the creator for who he is, we've now turned our attention and focus on the created thing, the ones created. Which is why verse 11 really doesn't come as much of a surprise to us. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He was rejected. The, the ones who have been anticipating, think about it, he came to his own. It's not like he showed up at some strange neighborhood where they never even heard of Jesus. No, he came to his own. He came to the ones who'd been anticipating him, who'd been longing for him, had been watching for him, had been expecting him, who had been crying out for Emmanuel, God with us. We need him to arrive. We want the Messiah, the anointed one, to come into history now. And they're waiting and they're longing and he shows up and they reject him. Overwhelmingly. And it wasn't simple ignorance. This was being presented with the person of Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and choosing to walk away. And, and think about that for a minute. This isn't like the idea of Jesus had been offered to him. It wasn't like God stood before them and said, Hey, listen, let me let me throw something at you. What if I come in the form of a baby, and I, and I grow up, and I live a perfect, I have my son, he's going to live a perfect life, and he's going to do all these things, he's going to minister to you all, and then, then what's going to happen is, is then he's going to willingly lay down his life for your sins on the cross, and he's going to be crucified. 
And he's going to be put in a tomb, but he's not going to stay there because three days later, he's going to rise from the grave. What do you think? And they say, no, no, I don't think that's a good plan. That's not how it worked. It's not the idea. Jesus himself was presented to them as a gift, and they rejected it. Maybe, maybe when you look at verse 11, it says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Maybe when I say they rejected him, you're like, well, it doesn't really say they rejected him. It just says they didn't receive him. That's, that's not the same thing, is it? Well, maybe, maybe if we had a better understanding, a proper understanding of what that word receive means, we would better see that. So let me, let me, let me define it this way. To define receive, it means to embrace, to delight in. And the way we use that term today is in the context of wedding ceremonies. So the wedding ceremony has begun, uh, the clergy dude is standing up front, okay, and then all of the, the groomsmen are lined up on one side and the, 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 the bridesmaids are on the other side or they're intermingled or whatever, all the details that the bride has been dreaming about for either her entire life or is like, I'm so tired, I don't care, just put them somewhere. How many of you had a wedding like that? Come on, that's, that's right, uh-huh. And as dad and the bride walk down that aisle, and the groom is standing here in front of his parents, which makes things so easy, right? Because mom has completely lost her mind. My baby, my baby. And then it comes down, and then he's trying to keep it together because he's looked down that aisle as the doors have opened, and it was like that, oh, oh, oh moment, right? Because there she is. And dad and the bride come to the front, and, and dad is still standing in the middle at this point, mind you, and it's illustratively, dad is still protecting his daughter from this guy. The ceremony begins, and the very first question is asked to the groom. Do you, groom, take bride to be your wife? Do you, after all this time of knowing her, getting ready for the ceremony, and hear it culminating in this moment where you look down the aisle and you see the beauty that is to be your bride, in this moment before all of these people, do you publicly take her to be your bride? And an, an absolutely appropriate response to the beauty and the wonder of this woman standing before this man would be, I would be an idiot not to. I do. Do you take her? I do. That's the picture of the word receive. So as God presented his gift to all of mankind, the groom said, nah. They want to return the gift that's been given to them. Why? So a couple of the reasons you may have listed are, are these, and I think these are some of the reasons why people have rejected the gift of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The first one is this. Well, maybe because you already have one. Has that ever happened to you where somebody bought you a gift and you're like, oh, I love presents, and you open it up, you're like, oh, thanks. Then your kid walks in and is like, isn't that the one on your nightstand, Mom? So maybe they've rejected the gift because they already have a functional Savior. 
It's ineffective, but they, they cling to that functional Savior instead. So instead of taking Jesus as your only, you're already spoken for. An incredible picture of that is found in Mark chapter 10, when this rich young ruler runs to Jesus and says, good, good teacher, good teacher, I have a question for you. What do I have to do in order to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, um, okay, first of all, who are you calling good? There's only one good, right? That's God. So are you inferring? Oh, okay, let me tell you what you have to do to inherit eternal life. You must perfectly keep the law. I mean, he, he lists uh, aspects of the law and says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, and he walks through those things. But what he's saying to the rich young ruler is, in order to inherit eternal life, you must perfectly keep the law. And probably not so shockingly, even though it should be shockingly, he says, oh, good, I've got that covered. Perfect. And Jesus' response is, you have? Okay. Well, let's make sure that your heart follows God alone and none other. Go sell your possessions and follow me alone. And the rich young ruler walked away, it says, saddened, grieving. Why? Because nobody with wealth can get into the kingdom of heaven? No, that's not why. Because nobody who relies on Jesus plus something else can. And he was unwilling to get rid of his functional Savior, the thing he relied on day in and day out, his great wealth. He was refused to get rid of that to rely on just Jesus alone. So sometimes we reject a gift because we already have one. Sometimes we reject a gift, well, to be honest, because you just don't like it. <laughs> okay. And I don't want to get crass, but let's be honest. Most people really do like Christmas Jesus. That's why we have such a freedom at this time of year to speak into the hearts and the lives of of our neighbors. We can talk about Christmas with them because they like Christmas Jesus, the tiny little baby, warm and fuzzy, peace on earth, you know, oh, that feels so good. Great theologian, (laughs) you probably never thought you'd hear this guy quoted, great theologian, Ricky Bobby, says, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and when I'm saying grace, I pray to who I want to. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus, teenage Jesus, or bearded Jesus. It's supposed to be a joke. That is our culture. Man, I love Christmas Jesus. He's a baby. He's sweet. He's cuddly. He's wonderful. He's not condemning me. Message is peace on earth. Let's get a candle. Let's link arms. Let's sing White Christmas. Most people like Christmas Jesus. Most people really like Miracle Jesus. Uh, Herod did. So during the trial of Christ, he was brought to Herod, and Luke 23 says this, Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard about him. He had been hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. Most people like miracle Jesus, but the Lord Jesus, the preaching Jesus, the master Jesus, the the one way, truth, and life Jesus, the Jesus who says there's no other way to the Father but through me, Jesus, oh, no, thank you. 
I mean, you see that actually in John chapter 6 after um, Jesus has fed the thousands of people and he goes away for a while and everybody's looking for him, including his own disciples. Don't lose sight of that. Even his own disciples are, are trying to find him. And, and so when they finally come upon him again, they say to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus begins talking to them. You're looking for me, but not because you want to hear what I say. You're looking for me because well, of what I just did, because of the miracles I just did. Even, so Jesus wasn't being, being fooled. And so they asked, so what do we need to do in order for God to be pleased with us? What work is it that, that, that God requires? And Jesus says, to believe in the one who God has sent. And, and so then it begins this teaching time where he talks about himself being the bread of life. I mean, he's, he's being very clear with his disciples and the others who have followed him, and he's saying to them, listen, you, you can't get to the Father except through me. Verse 41, at this, the Jews who were there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I love when Jesus picks up on things they don't expect him to pick up on because the Jews are in the corner like, oh, this guy, I am the bread. Isn't he the Joseph's son? And then Jesus, verse 43, says, hey, hey, stop grumbling about your, among yourselves. I heard you. I, I, I really enjoy that. He continues to go through. He says, the one who believes in me has eternal life because I am the bread of life. And then the Jews began to argue sharply, verse 52, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? How does this actually work? And then Jesus begins to walk through it again with them. And then verse 60, it says, and this is amazing, on hearing this, many of his disciples said, notice, it's not the Pharisees, it's not the Sadducees, many of his disciples said this, is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Because they, they liked miracle Jesus. They liked the guy who was going to overthrow the Roman Jesus. But I am the only way to, Je to God, Jesus, they could do without I just don't like it. So, so maybe it's you don't like it. Maybe it's because you already have one. The last reason that I'll point out that you, why we reject a gift or return a gift is because it just doesn't work the way I expected it to, right? I mean, the Messiah was supposed to come and make life easier, like a pet. A pet is supposed to make life easier, isn't it? Warm, cuddly, close your eyes. Can you imagine? You guys are ahead of me already. You Close your eyes, you think, oh, the nice puppy laying in front of the fire. And you don't think about nice puppy jumping into the Christmas tree, eating all the gifts, leaving presents of his own throughout the house. See, we picture in our head this wonderful picture, this pet. It's going to bring a wonderful experience, and we overlook the work and the mess. And so as they were expecting, Messiah was going to come. He's going to make life so much easier. He's, he's going to be this wonderful military leader. He's going to come in incredible majesty and power and royalty and the, and the people the people who follow him are going to be the, the political leaders, and they're going to be out from under the Romans. No more bondage. We'll be free. That's what the triumphal entry was all about, wasn't it? Here he comes, the one they've been looking forward to, the king who would triumph over Rome. He's coming in humility, and he's riding on a donkey, and they lose their minds. This is it. Here he comes. The king is here. It's our turn. Rome's going down. Great victory is ours. Hosanna! Until he's arrested. And he's beaten. 
without so much as even putting up the smallest of arguments. What kind of king is that? That's a lousy superhero, the one who doesn't fight when he's been captured. King? What kind of king is that? We want a king who's going to come in and wipe out the Romans. We want a king who's going to come in and make much of us. We want a king who's going to come in and save us from foreclosure. We want a king who's going to come in and save us from divorce. We want a king who's going to come in and remove all bad news we could ever get from any doctor at any time. We want a king, a messiah, a savior who's going to come in and keep me from being lonely. Who's going to rescue me from depression so I never struggle with it again. And if that's not what I get, then I don't want it. The problem is this. Let's imagine that there's a, a burning building. You're in your room, and you leave your room to get away from the flames, and you're running down the hallway, and you see your mom in the corner coughing and hacking and coughing and hacking, and the smoke is just, just completely surrounding her, and she, she can't get away from it, and you're running down the hallway, and you're like, ah, it's mom. You run to the kitchen, and you run back to her, and you hand her a cup of water and say, that should help, and you leave the room. How ridiculous would that be? That's what we're asking Jesus to do for us. He didn't come to save us from circumstances and temporary struggle. He came to save us from hell. He came to save us and give us an eternal home. Yes, John 16, in this world we're going to have trouble. But it doesn't end there. Take heart because I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus says. And so Jesus didn't come to offer a cold cup of water to us. He came to pick us up and carry us out of the burning building because he's a real savior. He was the light and he came and he, he shined into the darkness and he put on display their weakness and their lostness and their brokenness. He, he put on display their own pathetic attempts at fixing themselves. And he was the gift of our redemption. God in human flesh, leaving heaven for you. And yet, yet the rapping was a little wacky, and, and his cousin was a little weird, and then just had a hard time understanding later on in life. But, but he didn't come to impress us with his royal entourage. He didn't come to astonish us with his great impression. He came as one of us so we could know him, so we could love him. And yet many have returned the gift to the store. But John 1, 9 through 13, isn't all bad news. Verse 12 says this. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of of God. See, it's not all bad news. Not all of us on December 26th are standing in that ridiculously long line, but say hello to my wife for me while you're there, okay? Some of us are there getting good deals. Some of us are there to, 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 to cash in on the sales of the day after Christmas, but, but here, <laughs> there's no return. There's an embracing of the gift. 
It says in verse 12, to those who did receive him, those who believed in his name. This isn't simply, yep, there was a Jesus. Now, James tells us that the demons even believe that. So, so that, that's, that's just in case you're wondering, that's not good. You want your belief to go a little higher than the demons, probably. Probably a good idea. So it's not just saying, he, he, that's him, yep, I believe his, that's him. His name is Jesus and he existed. It's believing in his name. It's not just believing in his existence, but it's, it's in his word. It's in the truth. It's everything he said he is and everything he is. Everything he said you are and everything you are. It's relying fully, as we talked about last week, with your hand upon the head of Christ to carry away your sins and none other. I, I, I love the way this, that, that John Piper puts this. He says, that, that, to believe on Jesus isn't a peaceful coexistence where you just kind of fit Jesus into your life. You know? so, so on Monday through Saturday, it's my life, but Sunday, oh man, Sunday, from 8.30 to, we'll, we'll, we'll call it 8.30 to, because, you know, I preach short, right? 10.30. That's Jesus' time. So I'm just going to slide him into my life. Going to make him a part of who I am. And Piper says this, it's not a peaceful coexistence with a Jesus who, who makes no claims on our lives. Like, like we could tell him, listen, Jesus, you can stay in my house as long as you don't play your music so loud. Oh, no, it's not that. To believe in his name is to take him as your everything. It's to accept it all, 100%. To believe in his name and to receive him is to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, born as a baby, living a perfect life, bringing him to the cross on Calvary where he willingly laid down his life and shed his blood, not for this this nebulous group of people, but for you. And then he willingly took his life back up again three days later as he rose from the grave. That's what it means to believe in him. That's what it means to receive him. That's what it means to take him. And what is the result? I love the end of verse 12. The result of receiving him, the result of believing in his name is this. He gave the right to become the children of God. Now, let me me explain that just for a moment for you. This is not the power which some old translations put here. He's given you the power to become the children of God. Doesn't that give you a different picture in your mind? I can do it. He says, no, 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 no. It's not the power. It's not even the, 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 the ability. It's, it's the right. It's the authority. To those who have believed on his name and who have willingly received Jesus, you have been given the right to be called children of God. You have been given a proof of purchase. And that proof of purchase is this birth certificate that's now yours, and now with it come all the rights and privileges of being a child of the Most High King. Because when you receive him, now you are a child of his. You're loved, you are cared for, you are protected, your inheritance is unfading forever in heaven. For all of eternity, you get to wash in the the, the inheritance that is his. He's going to share it with you. For all of eternity. So, 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 so think about this for a minute. So many people in John's day knew nothing of freedom. They knew nothing of, of self-worth. So to hear that they had the right to be called children of God was an astonishing thing. In our own day, how many of us even sitting in this room suffer with a crippling lack of self-worth? 
And yet what we have to understand is there is an amazing truth that as a Christian, you're personally valued and you're dearly loved children of God. See, when a, when a family took a child in adoption, and it's still the same today, but a little different here, but when, when, when the family took a child in, in adoption back in this day, the relationships of that child were broken. They're gone. They're no more. The debts were completely released. This child was no longer responsible for the debts that may have been contributed to by their parents, but, but he's brought into this new life, into this, this new family, and that's what we have in belief in Jesus Christ. It's a love that knows us at our worst. It knows the worst about us, and yet it loves us with a love that we cannot possibly measure. You have a brand new proof of purchase. Your new proof of purchase is an empty manger that once held the Christ child. Your new proof of purchase is an empty cross that once held the innocent Lamb of God. Your proof of purchase is an empty tomb of Jesus Christ who was born, crucified, and risen again for you. That's what it means to have joy and peace on Christmas. Merry Christmas. Pray with me, would you? Father God, I thank you for your love for us, your compassion towards us. I thank you, Father, that we can call you Father because of the finished work of Christ. God, I pray for those who are sitting here in this room this morning who, who may have made a choice to, to reject you, to return you, to, to, to walk away from the gift as it's been offered. Father, I pray today would be the day of salvation for them. I pray, Lord, that they would evaluate what it is that's being offered to them and they would understand that it's, this isn't just a, a gift to add to the shelf. This is a rescue gift. This is a loving Father who has sent his Son to save us from our sins. So Lord, today I pray in humility that they would be broken and they would call upon your name and be saved. God, help each one of us through the rest of this week as we celebrate our Christmas season be reminded yet again in a powerful way of what it means to be called a child of God. We sell it so short. May we celebrate well. Amen.